on Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1. Streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. You are listening to The Jam Price Show, and my guest today is international sports car star Hurley Haywood. Welcome to the show, Hurley. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to talking with you. We're going to talk about your brand new documentary entitled Hurley. And uh, this was fascinating. I, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't follow uh, car racing, so I was not aware of you. Um, but it was, I, I loved the uh, documentary. How did the documentary come about? Well, um, Patrick Dempsey and Derek Dodge um, approached me when we were in racing in Atlanta about five years ago, I guess. And Patrick asked me, he said, I want you to talk to the filmmaker, to, to Derek Dodge, and he's got something that I think that you might be interested in. in and if you agree, we'll, we'll start uh, processing the, you know, getting the film together. So the um, the timing was perfect. The, the book had j- just about um, been put together and that was started. So I had the book and the movie. So, um, you know, the, the message, Derek was a really great, um, you know, he really paid a lot of attention to the film that he was, and the story that he was trying to get across. And he did it with a very delicate touch. Uh, there, you know, the, some of the subject matter was sensitive. Uh, suicide. My, my racing partner had died of suicide in the early '80s, um, and also what it was like to be gay in the you know '70s and '80s, which was not an easy thing. So um, we want. I, I think the timing was right on it, and away we went. And the end, end result was pretty spectacular. It really is. Now, you had your opening in L.A., right, on Monday? On Monday, yeah. Monday. Or- or- Orchard uh, had a beautiful party, a reception at the Peterson Museum, and uh, we had about, oh, I don't know, maybe 100 uh, guests come view it, and uh, it was really a nice affair, and everybody, you know, I haven't gotten one single negative response from either from the film or from the book, so that's that's good. That is good. That is good. Now, just so our audience knows, you're a five-time, 24-hour Daytona winner and three-time winner of Le Mans. That's pretty amazing right there. And you're also a Trans Am champion. So let's talk a bit, because there are a lot of things I want to talk about. Let's talk about how did you get into racing to begin with? Well, you know, I was born in Chicago and right in the city and then outside of the city we had five working farms and my grandmother lived on sort of the farm that just produced hay for the horses and we would go out and spend all of our vacation times weekends summer vacation out on that farm and by being on a farm you can imagine there was you know hundreds of miles of of road to to explore and our farm foreman put together a, uh, a, a, I started driving uh, a 1948 Studebaker truck. He made a special seat for me and blocks on the pedals and away I went. And I drove that truck almost four years without my parents or my grandmother ever ever realizing I was bopping around the farm in that, in that pickup truck. And how old were you? How old were you when you were doing I this? I started when I was 12. 12, wow. So basically, I drove that for four years, and, and then I got my regular license when I was 16. So by, uh, 
you know, by ha- having all of that practice, I was pretty uh, uh, sufficient on all kinds of different road um, characteristics, you know, gravel, dirt, asphalt, uh, no roads at all. So, you know, I kind of had it all. And when I went away to college, my uh, parents were so thrilled that I had gotten through high school. I went to a boarding school up on the East Coast, and uh, they were you know, thrilled that I made it through, and I, I had a Corvette that I took with me to uh, college, and I used to race the Corvette in autocrosses, and one weekend, Peter Craig, who owned Burma's Porsche, a very famous dealership, and also was very, uh, good, a very good race car driver, and was with Porsche, and I beat him, and he sort of came up and introduced himself and said, you know, you got to be pretty good to beat me, and that's started that friendship and that that guidance. Uh, he really was instrumental in laying down the law, laying down the principles that we raced by, and he really helped me tremendously by giving me a platform that was almost unbeatable. You know, the best cars, the best team, and uh, we were we dominated racing in the in the seventies, and then unfortunately uh, he committed suicide. And in, in 1980, and uh, but by that time I had sort of made my own name and just continued on and became uh, one of the owners of Bramos. And we had a new, um, you know, somebody that came into it as our as our major owner, Dan Davis, and uh, it all just kind of went together. Yeah, it, it did all kind of come together. I mean, you used to be called Batman and Robin. I mean, Peter Craig was Batman, and you were his Robin. Um, so you were, you're right, you were dominating uh, the race car circuit in the 70s, for sure. Did you have any inclination um, that Peter was suffering from depression uh, before he committed suicide? How much communication had you, because I know you kind of split apart there for a little bit. How much communication did you? the the two of you have during that period of time? Well, we really didn't have any discussions. We really didn't know what Peter's problem was. And we just knew that he was moody, and sometimes he would be uh, really, you know, a great guy, and other times he could be a real jerk. So it was, um, but but we didn't have enough knowledge to say, okay, I think you've got a, you know, a, a a mental problem and you need to get some help and he he was taking some lithium which was kind of the drug that helped people get through some of these episodes but he you know he never he he was a very smart guy harvard educated um guy and he he said you know i'm i'm smarter than than medicine I, I can do this without medicine and of course we all know that that didn't work so um you know if we if today i was put in that same wish uh, same position i would have immediately got the red flags up and knew exactly what his problem was you know i think mental health issues with people, you know, it's kind of a stigma. People are embarrassed to say, I've got a mental health problem. And it's the same thing with the LGBT community. You know, people are kind of embarrassed and afraid to, to, to talk about it. And I think in many, many cases that if you do talk about it, you can, 
you know, find compassion and you can find, you can solve a problem or what potentially could be a problem down down the line. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. And and people, it sounds like he was bipolar. And um, is that what they finally diagnosed him as or did anybody? Bipolar, yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people who are bipolar um, feel exactly that same way. They don't, they like the highs, and they don't like feeling um, that numbness. I've talked to people who have gone through this, and they just stop taking their drugs because they don't like to feel that evenness because they're used to the high um, and the lows too. But uh, and they tend to stop. You're exactly right. Taking the medication when it's so important that they do take it. So. But hindsight, you know, you you didn't know at the time what he was suffering from, and so that's what, how we learn in life, I suppose. So let's yeah. talk, yeah, and you know, I'm sure that was very devastating for you and everybody else that knew him well um, and his family. But let's go into, because you decided, you've brought it up a couple times now in this conversation, so uh, let's talk about, first of all, you're incredibly handsome today, still incredibly handsome, but back in your heyday, back in the 70s and 80s, you literally looked like Paul Newman, and you probably were racing with him, too, at the same time. I mean, you were just spectacularly gorgeous. So let's talk about that, because you had all these beautiful women on your arms all the time, and yet you were keeping this secret. Uh, And how did you keep that secret? So let's talk about how that playing that duality was in your life, too. Well, you know, the... You know, the... The secret was well kept, and I really was very careful in keeping my private life and my my business life completely separate. And you know, it worked pretty well. But the industry and the people that I drove for and was close to in, in the racing business, they all knew that I was gay. And but it was not something that was necessarily discussed, and it was not something that ever presented a problem because I could keep my foot down uh, harder and longer than the guy next door. And I won a lot of races by, by being able to do that. And that's really what the teams uh, cared about. They cared about, you know, one, is he good enough to win? And the answer was yes. And is he good enough to bring the car back in one piece? And the, and the answer to that is yes. So I came up, I came, I, or I developed a, re- a relationship or, or a, uh, you know, sort of a mindset that Hurley was really quick and he could bring the car back in one piece. And that was important for teams. Mm-hmm. So as far, you know, yeah, I, I was blessed with, you know, my mother's good looks and it, it was fun. But, and I had some great, you know, sponsors. I had Penthouse magazine was my sponsor for a while and they had the most beautiful women in the world but you know people knew what my story was and but as i said it was never something that was necessarily discussed and as far as the you know women from penthouse magazine i think they sort of appreciated that fact that you know i wasn't going to try to you know jump in bed with some of those beautiful models so um it all kind of worked out. And how difficult was it for you, though, internally to keep that a secret? Well, you know, the, my concern was twofold. One was I didn't want to make anybody uneasy, and I certainly was respectful of the sponsors that we had, and I was very respectful 
respectful of the fans that I had. So my biggest worry was if if it ever was found out that I was gay on a, on a public platform, that I suddenly would be very vulnerable and maybe I would disappoint my fan base. And my fan base, you know, my, mind you, has been behind me for over 40 years. And so far, uh, I've gotten complete 100% support from them. I'm sure that there's some people that are shocked and said, you know, I don't want to be his friend anymore. But a majority of the fans have been super supportive. And they said, you know, one of the greatest things that somebody said to me, they said, you know, you, you, not, are, you not only are a great racing driver, but you're a great person. Oh. And that, to me, is one of the greatest uh, compliments anybody can give me. Exactly. You can't get any better than that. So that's that's wonderful. So what made you, because you just came out, correct, of like last year or so? It's just been recent? Yeah, you know, it's it, the, sort of the book... The book came first, and then the documentary came after that. And both the book and the documentary came at a time when, you know, I was, I had granted a high school senior an interview, and it was the same kind of interview that I've done thousands of times before. And this young gentleman, he was doing his term paper on the business of racing, and he arrived right on the dot, uh, you know, dressed very professionally, and sat down. He was a good-looking kid, sat down, and, you know, we started the interview. And about halfway through the interview, he stopped sort of cold in his tracks. He looked directly at me, and he said, you know, I need your advice. He said, some friends of mine had told me that you would be a good source to go to because you're, you have good, good ideas. And he said, I'm gay. I wake up every morning, and I think about, think about suicide. I've been bullied my whole entire life. And I just feel like like a piece of garbage. And I said, you know, just hold on for a minute. And I said, you know, always remember one thing. It's not it's not what you are, but it's who you are. It's the who you are is what people remember. And if you put your head down and you go forward and you don't let barriers stand in your way to make forward progress, you're going to accomplish what you want to do in life. And you have to find out what that what that mission is and then go at it 100% and don't let, you know, no stop you. And he left the interview with a fairly good idea in his mind, I hoped, that uh, he would be able to overcome this. And then I never heard from him again. And then suddenly, about, I don't know, a year and a half or two years later, I get a call for what turns out to be his mother. And, you know, I had this sort of sinking feeling in my heart that, oh, my, she's calling me up to say that he's committed suicide. Mm-hmm. But no, she said, what you told my son saved his life. And that, you know, coming from a mother is pretty, pretty heavy stuff. Wow. Yes. So I just figured, you know, if I can save one kid, if my voice is strong enough to save one kid, then maybe I can save two kids, ten ten kids or a hundred kids. And so that was really kind of the reason why I said, okay, now's now's the time. I'm retired, um, and I still have a voice. The voice is strong, and let's go and uh, see if we can do some good. Beautiful, beautiful. That's wonderful. That's what it's all about, you know, leaving a legacy. And each and every one of us has a purpose of some sort, and and some of us have a bigger platform. And obviously, you have a bigger platform in which you can help 
you know, more people. So kudos to you for, for doing that. If you've just tuning in, you are listening to the Jam Price Show all about movies. And my guest today is Hurley Haywood, who is an international sports car star who has won, he's a five-time uh, 24-hour Daytona winner, three-time Le Mans winner, and a Trans Am champion, and many other champions through the years. So, so you, so you, that that was the motivation for you to finally come out and talk about this. But you've been with your partner for quite a long time. At least for was it 40 years that you've been together? Uh, 35 years. 35 years. Okay, so you've been. So how did you keep? We met. We met in, I'm Carol Math. I think we met in 1979. Okay, that's 40 years. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> this year, forty years this year. So, uh, how did you? And, and then you got married when? When you finally got married? Uh, we got married in um, December of two thousand eleven. Okay, so it hasn't in been New that, York. in New York. Okay, so it hasn't been yep. that long. So, you, and I love you know the interviews with your partner. Uh, and interesting though, but how did you keep that? quiet and a secret because you had to I mean I know it hurt him a little bit that he wasn't able to celebrate your wins with you the way he would like to as a partner should so can you talk well, a little bit about that that's not necessarily true we we decided that when New York made made it uh, legal to marry in New York we decided okay now now's the time I mean we've been together for 40 years but it, it was now legally uh, acceptable to get married the Supreme Court had, had issued I think the Supreme Court actually made that ruling that marriage was legal nationwide after we had gotten married. But we uh, put together a group of, of friends, of really, really close friends, and uh, went up to New York and, and got married in Central Park, right on the uh, bridge. And Apple. it was, uh, you know, a beautiful day, and it was a you know perfect thing. We had a beautiful uh, lunch and dinner um, in New York at some of the great restaurants there, and it was really, it was really a lot of fun. But we didn't want to make it, you know, we didn't want to make a lot of hoopla about it. We just wanted to be a personal thing with our closest friends. So that's why, you know, a lot of people didn't know about it. But I meant as as far as through the years with your partner that when you were racing still and and you were were winning, he he had to stay in the background. Is what I, what I meant. Not not after you got married. And had yeah, to. Fr- he's kind of he's he's not. Um, he's not really comfortable with being in the limelight. Uh, he's really, you know, shy, just kind of like I am. And he uh, he just preferred to stand, you know, behind me. But, you know, there were a few circumstances, and he'd mentioned those in the film, where he felt really excluded and, uh, you know, looking at Victor Lane through, through a chain link fence with his friends. And that was uh, something that uh, it was unfortunate that he was there, but it was something um, he, he was there because he didn't want to make a scene. He didn't want to, you know, you know, give me a big kiss on Victory Lane because right. he knew that that would make him uncomfortable and it would make me uncomfortable. Right. Exactly. So he just said, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay behind and and uh, we'll celebrate when we get home." That's, yeah, mm, that's great. And I, you know, even heterosexual couples could feel the same way. You know, this you know yep. wanting to keep their relationship quiet and not be out in the public limelight so much. Hurley, do you think um, that? Well, first of all, when did you realize that you were gay? Pretty early in my life. <laughs> really? I mean, yeah, it was, I mean, you know, I had girlfriends, I, you know, serious girlfriends, and, you know, but I knew 
from a relatively early age that there was something just a little bit off. And um, when I finally admitted to myself that, hey, you know, you you must be gay, um, you know, that was difficult to uh, accept, you know, because I I wanted to be a racing driver, but it was something that I was just going to have to deal with and push through it. And, you know, uh, one of the things that I hope the film brings away is that when barriers get in your way, you have to knock the barrier down or you're not going to forward. And those barriers are in everybody's life. I don't care what you do. And when you, you know, when you let that barrier impede your forward progress, you're just, it's just not going to work. And and that was my case. I had to knock that barrier down and not worry about what somebody said. And just my voice was my love, my right foot. Right. I was going to say, do you think because you were keeping this secret that you worked even harder yeah, doing I what would, you do? Uh, yeah, that was asked of me not too long ago. And I think, you know, I think there's a lot of profession, uh, pressure to perform at absolutely the highest level uh, humanly possible. And I think that's a little bit magnified by the fact that, you know, yes, you're gay. And, and now you have to prove that, you know, gay guys can drive just as fast as straight guys. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, um, so that's kind of what I thought, and and uh, you know I didn't let being gay stand in the way of of um, you know me being a good racing driver. That's that's great, and you certainly didn't. We have time for maybe one more question, and that is how did you and Patrick Dempsey connect? Because um, you work together now. Yeah, I met you know I've I've known Patrick for a long time. When he was racing for Mazda, uh, he would always come up and and uh, you know ask advice, and I would give him advice. And and he, you know, I thought that it would be really great if we were able to get him over on the Porsche side. And so we worked hard, and he uh, managed to secure a, a ride with with Porsche. He had his own team. Uh, basically, they were racing here in the States. When he was racing here in the States, he raced under our banner, the, the Brumos Porsche banner. And then... Um, when he was in Europe, it was uh, Proton, so it was uh, it was really a good a good relationship, and he trusted me, and I trusted him, and so when the when the um, sort of the the, the storyline came out on this documentary, he was really excited that I accepted to do that, and then it all just sort of you know we went in a few direction different directions at the beginning, but it all kind of came together once we sort of. Got feet on the ground and knew what what direction we wanted to go in and then it all came out really i think really really well very proud of it that's great i have one more quick question i live in carmel california have you ever raced at laguna seca i've raced at laguna a lot yeah that was one of my first tracks i've ever raced at actually it was in laguna in the early 70s 71 i think and then uh, I've won a bunch of races there. I'm going to be the Grand Marshal there this year. Oh, um, when? When? At Laguna for the Vintage Festival. Yeah. Uh, oh, the Concord d'Elegance? Yep, yep. Well, not, it's, oh, oh, it's over that weekend. It's over that it's, weekend, uh, yeah. The historic the races. Mon- the Monterey Classics is what they call it. We'll have to meet. We'll have to make sure I meet you then <laughs> when you're in town. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure talking with you. And I wish you much success with this documentary entitled Hurley and uh, and with the rest of your career. Okay, well, thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you. You too. Thank you, Hurley. Go to The Jam Price Show on Facebook to learn more about upcoming shows. And while you are there, please like my page. And to listen to the Price Movie Minutes movie reviews and to listen to archive show that, shows that you may have missed, go to thejampriceshow.com. 
Podcast on Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1. Streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. Hi, this is Rich Little. Join me in beautiful Carmel-by-the-Sea the weekend of March the 29th and 30th to celebrate the legendary Doris Day's 97th birthday. Enjoy a 60th anniversary screening of Pillow Talk with film host Ben Makowitz and Q&A with Doris's co-stars Jackie Joseph, Peter Marshall, and me. And a special concert by Michael Feinstein. Auctions, raffle, dog adoptions, and more. Proceeds benefit the Doris Day Animal Foundation. Hey, I'll even bring along Doris's leading men like uh, Clark Gable, uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart, or Terry Grant. Visit DorisDayAnimalFoundation.org for tickets and more information.